0: Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise, and I want to thank you for tuning in for some Texas history. I want to begin today by thanking everyone for the universally positive feedback on the 50th episode of Wise About Texas and the origins of the Texas Rangers. That episode made the point that though there's a lot of discussion around when the official Texas Rangers started, the ranging function was critical to pre-Republic and early Republic Texas. So it really didn't matter when the official Texas Rangers got their start, although it is very fun to discuss. Uh, It just matters that the phenomenon of the Ranger began in the earliest settlement periods of Texas and of course continues to today with uh, some evolution of course, in the way they do their business. And I'm looking forward to some great episodes. I've got some great suggestions coming in from that last episode. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about the individuals who served in the Rangers. And we're going to talk a lot about great uh, episodes in Ranger history. So thank you very much for so many of you listening to that. And uh, we got a lot of new listeners from that episode. Well, we're in the High Holy Days of Texas history between the fall of the Alamo and the Battle of San Jacinto, and this is a great time to talk about things related to the Revolution, and we're going to do that today. There are uh, many celebrations around the state during this time, so keep that in mind, and no matter where you are, go out and celebrate Texas independence. San Jacinto Day is coming up. We all know that's April 21st. It falls on a Saturday this year, so I've dubbed the week before San Jacinto Week, and uh, I'll be speaking on April 17th, or April 18th, excuse me, April 18th, at the annual dinner benefiting the San Jacinto Museum. I'm looking forward to that, Um, and definitely will be with my family on April 21st at the San Jacinto Battleground for the the annual San Jacinto Day Remembrance, which is in the morning at 10 o'clock, I believe, and the um, battle reenactment will be that afternoon. There'll be a festival around those events uh, on the ground, on the battleground, and it's always a great time. I've been taking my daughter out there since she was about three, and uh, that's something we always look forward to, so I hope to see you out there. If you see me out there, uh, please be sure and stop me and say hello. Well, I was looking for a topic for this episode, something to do with the revolution that maybe we don't always Think about during this time, and one just fell into my lap from listener Paul Posky in College Station, Texas. Paul works for Texas A and M University, and I want to thank him for the idea for this episode. We've all heard of the fact that the Texas Army had two cannon on the field at San Jacinto, our only artillery. We've also heard of the Runaway Scrape, where the settlers of Texas fled the advancing Mexican Army from west to east. But these two events had something very important in common and it was a boat. So let's go back to the 1830s and get wise about Texas. We're going to start our discussion today with an individual named James Morgan. Morgan served as an agent in Texas for some land speculators from New York. He acquired some land from Lorenzo de Zavala, and that land today is known as Morgan's Point. He acquired that land to build a town. He took uh, also, in connection with that endeavor, he took delivery of two boats, and the intent was for those boats to not only serve in building the new community, but also to make some money for the company. One of those boats was 65 or 70 feet long and weighed about 77 tons. The boat was commissioned on November 2, 1835, and it was actually registered to John Austin John Austin was Stephen F. Austin's cousin, and Morgan had hired Austin up in Connecticut to acquire the ships. Uh, These ships were built in Connecticut. Morgan hired a captain for one of the boats named Luke Falvel. Falville was an Irish immigrant. He had become a U.S. citizen on October 9, 1835, was married to a lady named Mary Falvel, who eventually came with him to Texas. This boat Uh, that we're going to talk about today was called The Flash. The Flash made its way to Texas carrying both passengers and cargo. One of the things that I found out about this trip, uh, somebody wrote about it and alleges that Emily West was one of the passengers on The Flash uh, that came in November of 1835. Now the uh, Emily West, you'll remember from other episodes, is referred to in history as the Yellow Rose of Texas. And what we know for sure about Emily is that she was an indentured servant. She was not a slave, despite many accounts that refer to her as such. She was an indentured servant and uh, of James Morgan. She did come from New Haven, Connecticut, just like The, the Flash, Uh, to Morgan's Point, or New Washington as the town was going to be called. So uh, she very well could have been on the Flash uh, because she was going to be working for Morgan. But um, her passport that she obtained later after the Battle of San Jacinto indicated that she had come to Houston, or excuse me, come to Texas in September 1835. And this voyage of the Flash to Texas after its commissioning was in November, 1835, so we certainly can't be sure, uh, but maybe she did come, uh, which would have been the first significant cargo for Texas history that the Flash had brought. Well, the Flash stopped to pick up uh, James Morgan in New Orleans. Um, history records that Morgan met the boat in what was then called La Balise and is now called Pilot Town. Now, this is a very interesting part of uh, the New Orleans area. Uh, many, many miles down the Mississippi from New Orleans toward the mouth is where the uh, river pilots would live and work, and there was an area that was started back in this time called La Belize, uh, which became Pilot Town. Now, after Hurricane Katrina, Pilot Town was largely destroyed, but the, it has a great history of its own. And that's where James Morgan was in 1835. He got on board the Flash, and uh, they arrived at uh, New or the the point that would become New Washington. Morgan sent the flash back to New Orleans with, as you might expect, uh, cotton, as well as some other things from Texas. There's a manifest for January 23rd, 1836 that's preserved from the New Orleans port records that indicates that the ship carried, uh, quote, three jackasses. Now, we presume those were the four-legged kind, uh, but it does not specify. Interestingly, on that manifest, the ship also was carrying the captain's wife, Mary Falville. So Mary had come to Texas and then uh, quickly returned in January 1836 to New Orleans. She was uh, listed as traveling with three trunks and three hat boxes, so it appears as if she was moving back to New Orleans at this time. Well, that wouldn't be surprising, because if you recall... The time period, January 1836, we had already seized Behar the previous December. Uh, Santa Ana was uh, gathering the army to come into Texas, and uh, the government meetings were starting in earnest in Washington on the Brazos, and so war was definitely on the horizon, so it wouldn't be surprising if Captain Fauvel had sent his wife Mary um, back home to New Orleans because Certainly his level of activity and the, and the Flash's level of, of activity would be about to increase. Well, the Flash made another run to New Orleans and arrived. Uh, this is a different trip, arriving March 7th, 1837. And looking at that manifest, it was carrying hides, it was carrying cotton, all, you know, in regular commerce. It also had a few passengers aboard. By this time, though, uh, Luke Fauville was not merely a ship captain. He was a captain in the Texas Navy, and on March 2nd, 1836, he had been commissioned as a captain in the Texas Navy. That's reflected on some documents I found in the state archives. Uh, Later in Fauvel's life, uh, some affidavits filed reflecting that that as his commission date. Um, The Flash had another commission of sorts. Uh, An 18-pound cannon had been mounted on her deck. Now, you'll remember from the last episode about the Texas Rangers, I mentioned a law that Stephen F. Austin wanted to use to try to solve the Indian problem he perceived in Texas, and the law said that it was illegal for the U.S. uh, to assist a nation that was at war with an ally of the U.S., and Austin wanted to use uh, that law against the Indians. Um with Mexico being an ally, but uh, was unsuccessful in doing that. Well, that law came into play again because the Flash and other ships were used as privateers. To Remember, the Flash was privately owned, used as privateers to harass Mexican shipping, but that, that was a very controversial situation at the time in the U.S. If you'll remember back to episode one of this podcast, When we were talking about our old friend Judge Benjamin Cromwell Franklin, we talked about a case he adjudicated involving the capture of a U.S. ship called the Pocket by the Texian Schooner Independence and the controversy that that caused in the U.S. So the Flash was poised to face a similar problem when it cruised up and down the Gulf Coast with that 18-pound cannon. Well, it did return to New Orleans and uh, then headed back to Texas. And it headed back to Texas with some interesting cargo aboard. First aboard the Flash was Maribu Bonaparte Lamar. Now, you recognize that name. Maribou Lamar ended up being the second president of the Republic of Texas and achieved some heroics as a member of the cavalry the day before the Battle of San Jacinto. In fact, he almost started the Battle of San Jacinto one day early. Uh, He had come from Georgia and then traveled from New Orleans on The Flash. The other interesting uh, bit of cargo on The Flash on this trip was a huge grocery order. And this grocery order had been placed by a certain lady that played a big role in Episode 5 of Wise About Texas. That's the um, Capitals of Texas, Part 2. Her name was Angelina Eberly. You remember Angelina Eberly? She's the one that ended up firing the town cannon of Austin at the General Land Office to scare off the people that Sam Houston had sent to secret the archives out of Austin and hopefully return the capital to Houston. Um, that was called the Archives War, and if you remember the end of that episode, I uh, speculated that maybe that war is not over yet. Um, but Angelina Eberly, uh, she owned a hotel in Austin during that time, but in the spring of 1836, She was Angelina Payton, and she was operating a tavern and hotel in San Felipe called Payton's Tavern, San Felipe, of course, being the capital of Austin's colony and a thriving town on the Brazos. Well, the flash landed from New Orleans at Velasco on March 25, 1836. Now, you can see we're getting really close to uh, the Battle of San Jacinto. The Alamo had fallen by then. That was two days before the massacre at Goliad and uh, the flash landed with this grocery order now the plan would have been of course for Lamar to go up the Brazos to and join the army and uh, for Angelina Eberly or Peyton Eberly's groceries to have been shipped up the Brazos to San Felipe to her tavern but we had a problem by this point you see when the flash the flash would have stopped in Galveston and in Galveston would have discovered that its owner, James Morgan, was now Colonel James Morgan of the Texas Army. We had only declared independence uh, 23 days prior. So um, Texas was now at war with full fledged war with Mexico. Morgan was a colonel. The flash would have landed at Galveston. Everybody on board would have learned that the Alamo had fallen and Santa Ana was advancing to the east, that the settlers were fleeing, that Houston and the army were retreating or uh, counter-marching, depending on your perspective of those events. So the situation had definitely changed, and Falvel's orders at this point changed as well. So Falvel was ordered by Colonel Morgan to take the flash to Velasco and to meet refugees from the runaway scrape that would have fled down the, the Brazos. So on that landing, March 25th, at Velasco, Falvel was there to pick up the people that were fleeing. Well, he did so. He picked up a lot of passengers, and he cruised around the Texas coast, probably picking up other passengers and keeping them safe from the Mexican Army. Well, those passengers on that boat needed something to eat. Good luck for them, because Angelina Eberle's grocery order was aboard. So, as you might expect... They help themselves. Well, after the war, that did not sit well with Miss Eberly. And if you go to the state archives, as I did, uh, so you don't have to, you will find a claim filed by Angelina Eberly against the government for reimbursement of all of these items. And I uh, went I went and got the documents, and including uh, now, of course, I've got a copy of it. But there is a document she actually signed. And uh, she talks about a considerable amount of bacon, flour, sugar, coffee, and other supplies belonging to her was taken from the schooner flash, Captain Fauville, then lying in Galveston Bay by the officers of the government for public use. So this is a good old-fashioned takings claim under the law. And among the set of documents that are in this file uh, include the interrogatories, which are questions that... uh, one side sends to another in a lawsuit that are required to be answered under oath. And then we have Captain Fauvel's response uh, where he was under the orders. He he says in the spring of 1836, he was captain of the schooner Flash. He was under the orders of Colonel James Morgan, commander of Galveston, which was Morgan's assignment in the Army. And uh, he claims that the Flash was laying at the time at New Washington, which was, of course, Morgan's town. Uh, Favle writes that he had on board a considerable amount of provisions and stores admittedly belonging to Mrs. Peyton, now Mrs. Eberly, and that he also received on board, uh, as Favle writes, quote, the majority of the members of the Cabinet of Government and their families. Well, we know for a fact that the Secretary of Navy was on board uh, because of another source that I'll tell you about in a minute. But... Um, Favel admits the provisions belonging to Mrs. Eberly were consumed uh, both by members of the cabinet, their families, and other families then on board who were at the time, quote, flying from the Mexicans, close quote. But um, some of the flour was put on shore at, Gal- at Galveston, he says, for use of the troops there at Galveston who would have eventually made their way. Up to San Jacinto, including, of course, our friend Benjamin Cromwell Franklin. I also found uh, Miss Eberly's affidavit uh, swearing to the truth of her allegations. Uh, what I did not find was a full and final resolution of that claim, or whether she got paid. I'm going to guess that she did, because we know from other episodes that Miss Eberly was nothing if not persistent, uh, culminating, of course, in her firing a cannon. Well, there was one more interesting bit of cargo that the Flash picked up at Velasco to take back to Galveston Bay, and that was something that was destined for a trip up the Brazos to meet Sam Houston's army. There were two items, both cannons. Yep, the Twin Sisters were on board the Flash from Velasco to Galveston. I'm sure you've heard of the Twin Sisters. They were the two pieces of artillery on the field of San Jacinto, They were uh, the result of a gift from the good people of Cincinnati, Ohio, to the Republic of Texas. Um, There was a meeting in November 17th of 1835 uh, by a a meeting of a committee in Cincinnati to support the efforts of the Republic of Texas, and they passed a resolution, and I want to read this. It's short because I think it's uh, a good encapsulation of the feeling around the country toward the Texas Revolution. And here it is, quote, resolved that this meeting cooperate in sentiment and feeling with the independent citizens of Texas in their manly efforts now making in that territory by the late citizens of the United States in maintaining their rights and resisting the aggressions upon them by an unprincipled usurper. That as American citizens, we can do no less than encourage the spirit of freedom wherever or by whatever people it may be displayed that the violation of the natural and conventional rights of our friends and brethren in Texas is regarded by this meeting with abhorrence and just indignation, and that they do commend in this instance the measures of resistance that have been resorted to and confidently hope and believe that as sons of the United States of America, the lessons of their fathers will not be lost on their descendants, that, as in the case of the patriotic Greeks, the South Americans, and the Poles, We have a right to cheer them by our sympathies and to aid them in the supplies of clothes and provisions that we approve of and recommend to the citizens of this meeting, a plan by which the citizens of Texas shall be supplied through their agent, Mr. Smith, by our contributions with such an amount of hollow ware as he may deem sufficient to contain other provisions by which they shall be filled, according to his judgment and sound discretion." that this meeting have every confidence in the integrity and patriotism of Mr. Smith and no wish or intention to violate any law of their own government, close quote. So I thought that was a a very enthusiastic endorsement of uh, the feelings of the people of Cincinnati. They caused uh, two iron, quote, uh, they're quoted as two iron field pieces. Sometimes you uh, see them as brass or bronze, uh, but this says iron, and uh, they were sent from Cincinnati to Texas. Um, they were dispatched to Brazoria again, like uh, Lamar and, and the groceries for Angelina Eberly. Uh, the thought was that they would go up the Brazos and meet the army, but of course, that was uh, they were a little late. Um, General Houston had heard about it because. Uh, he had sent for the cannon twice, saying that they needed to be there as soon as possible, but they couldn't take them overland. And as Santa Ana advanced, and of course it was muddy, and uh, you may remember, but the spring of 1836 was very rainy, so the roads were very muddy. They couldn't get them to Sam Houston, so they decided to send them by water, and uh, they sent them down uh, on board a schooner called Pennsylvania. Um, To Velasco and then uh, Luke Falvel and the Flash took the cannon from Velasco to Morgan's Point and the Sloop, Ohio took them from Morgan's Point up Buffalo Bayou to Harrisburg. They were then uh, pulled overland from Harrisburg and ended up meeting Houston's army at Gross's Plantation on March 11th, or excuse me, April 11th. It was April 11th, 1836, after Houston had crossed the Brazos at Gross's Plantation. Remember, he had uh, stopped and trained his troops on the west side of the Brazos, and then he crossed, and uh, the twin sisters met him there at the plantation, and they proceeded on to their destiny. Now, one of the great mysteries in Texas history is what happened to the twin sisters. Never fear. Uh, we will address that. That's going to have to be its own episode, though, because the search for the twin sisters continues. There's no confident resolution as to where they are. I do have a friend who, uh, whose um, ancestors go back to this time period. They were very active in the revolution. He has his own theory about uh, where they might be, and so I'm going to meet with him on that and uh, gather all the information that we can, and we'll do an episode on the fate of the twin sisters one final mention uh, about the flash there's some if you do research on this there's some writing that indicates that the pennsylvania took the twin sisters to uh, morgan's point and not the flash but i have in my hands a freight bill from james morgan to the government of texas um, and approved by uh, robert potter the secretary of the navy of the republic and Part of the freight bill is uh, the two carriages, two pieces, cannon, sundries, five cases of shot, and 38 18-pound balls. And that bill came to $289 that he owed Morgan for uh, transporting those cannons. So $289 to assist in freeing Texas, um, I'd say, is well worth it. So uh, the flash. So now we're approaching the... Battle of San Jacinto. There was uh, what can charitably be described as chaos in the area. Um, Sam Houston was headed down uh, to meet Santa Ana. Santa Ana had detached some of his army, including himself. They had headed to Harrisburg, and, and really what they were trying to do was capture the government. They uh, had burned Harrisburg. Zavala had, had, uh, Lorenzo de Zavala had abandoned his house north of San Jacinto. David Burnett, the Provisional President of Texas, uh, was going to get his wife and family out. And the flash was uh, laying at New Washington as Morgan's slaves and other personnel were trying to load up all the belongings and all the things that he wanted to take uh, from his spot at New Washington. Also present there was William Fairfax Gray, who wrote a very well-known diary of the revolutionary experience, and he described uh, the Secretary of the Navy and other government officials being there at New Washington, and they all tried to escape at one point, got stuck on a bar, were towed off by a steamship, managed to get away in time. Um, Burnett ended up down at New Washington just as Santa Ana arrived, and with his wife, and you'll remember the story of Burnett getting in a rowboat and rowing away just as the Mexican dragoons arrived to capture the provisional president. And the story goes that the dragoons were not allowed to fire on the boat because of the presence of Mrs. Burnett. Uh, well, he rowed that boat out to the Flash, so Burnett ended up getting on the Flash. The Flash made it to Galveston. There were probably about 150 people aboard uh, when they arrived at Galveston. And, of course, that's where the provisional government was on April 21st uh, at 4 o'clock p.m., when, in 18 minutes, uh, the Texas Army routed the Mexican Army, and Texas was free. Well, after the uh, Battle of San Jacinto as the Republic of Texas began to emerge, the Flash continued her service between Texas and New Orleans and Galveston. Uh, Eventually, Captain Falvo was replaced and he was replaced by a captain named Marstella. Well, Marstella apparently was not quite as good a captain because he soon wrecked the Flash in uh, San Luis Pass. Now, there's some discussion about how and when and where that actually happened, Uh, but the Flash was lost, and I think the common conclusion is that uh, the Captain Marstella mistook San Luis Pass for the entrance to Galveston Harbor. Now, those two places today look very, very different, but I would imagine back in 1837, uh, one might, if one did not know where one was, uh, mistake San Luis Pass for that entrance. A fatal mistake, as those of you who have spent any time in the Galveston area know that San Luis Pass to this day is very, very dangerous. Uh, so the flash entered and uh, was wrecked. The cargo was a loss, but there was no loss of life, reportedly. Captain Falville Uh, ended up living out his days in Galveston. He died in 1872 and was buried in the Catholic Cemetery in Galveston. Um, And his former ship, the Flash. The Flash had a tremendous record of service in its relatively short life. It transported uh, men, some rather famous, the second president of Texas, uh, commissioned by one of the prominent figures in Texas history, James Morgan. It uh, transported the only artillery the Texas Army had at San Jacinto. It transported uh, groceries for the famous Angelina Eberly. all done in the service of the Republic of Texas. The Flash had a great career and deserves to be remembered as an important contributor to the freedom of Texas. Well, now we come to the part of the episode called Getting There, where I tell you how to go and see some of the places that we talked about in the episode. Uh, The port where the Twin Sisters were picked up by the flash was Velasco, and we've talked about old Velasco before. Uh, It's now Surfside Beach, Texas. So if you go down there, uh, you'll see some historical markers of the Port of Velasco at the mouth of the Brazos, and that's always a great place to visit, especially as the sun comes out and we get past winter here in Texas. Uh, The Twin Sisters were taken to uh, New Washington. And, uh, if you go down State Highway 146 to Barber's Cut Boulevard and go east, you'll be on Morgan's Point. And there is an old cemetery down there. Um, uh, there is, uh, there are some historical markers down there and that is the area where New Washington was to be built, where James Morgan had purchased land for his New York investors and where the Flash spent much of her time. Of course, now it's, uh, very busily part of the shipping traffic in and around the Galveston Bay area. Uh, Burnett, after he rode his boat to the Flash and made it to Galveston, had set up shop on the east side of Galveston, Texas, at a place called Fort Point. And if you look at the map, a map that has Fort Point on it, uh, you're not going to be able to get to the exact site of Fort Point because it's on a Coast Guard base. And I've already tried to do that. I pulled up to the guard shack, told him uh, what was there. Of course, the guard didn't know about that site, but that was not something that the uh, Coast Guard was willing to let me just drive around the base and find. So uh, I'll do a little more work on that. Maybe we can, uh, maybe I can get down there sometime and uh, take some pictures. So you're not gonna be able to get super close to it. What you can do is go down uh, Seawall Boulevard to the east end of the island, where old Fort San Jacinto, a later day fort, was uh, existed. There's some historical markers there. You can see the area where Fort Point was from that spot, and you'll be close enough at that point. Also, the ferry landing in Galveston is just to the west of Fort Point, so you'll be in the same area that all those refugees were in 1836. Uh, Luke Falville is, is uh, buried in the Catholic Cemetery in Galveston, so you can go down there and, and see the captain's grave. And, of course, uh, we'll conclude this episode by encouraging you to visit the Sanderson Battleground and Museum, It's always a wonderful place to go any time of year, Uh, but as this episode is being released not too distant from San Jacinto Day, make a trip to the San Jacinto battleground or the nearest revolutionary site that you can find wherever you live and pay tribute to the great men and women who sacrificed so much to bless us with the Texas that we know and love today. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Thank you very much for listening. If you get a chance, leave a review on iTunes. That helps other Texas history lovers find the show. We're on Facebook at Wise About Texas and Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. Please keep the feedback coming. You can email me at host at wiseabouttexas.com. Let me know the stories that you want to talk about. Let me know what you think about this podcast and, uh, Go out and do something for Texas today, and until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.